Hello, and thank you so much for joining us today. My name is Minister John Richard, and this podcast is an account of this week's Bible study. I pray that it blesses and strengthens you in Jesus' name. If you are looking for more of the Word or are searching for the notes that were used in this week's lesson, please feel free to check the links in the description. Enjoy the Bible study and be blessed. So, hello, y'all. Today, is a very special lesson, I'll say. Special because as I was studying, you know, different lessons that I have throughout the week, there were two or three particular devotionals with the, you know, the Jason scriptures that I was reading through. And while none of them are connected, God himself had them connected because they were all talking about the same subject matter. And that subject being who we really are. Now, we've talked about this in past lessons, such as I am because he is. And as well as a few months ago when we talked about CC, uh, <laughs> Whatever I titled that lesson, forgive me for not having it off the top of my head, but the whole point of it was us being carbon copies of who Christ is. So in those lessons, in the first one, and I am because he is, we discussed how we're able to exist. We're able to do whatever it is that God has appointed us to do because of his sacrifice on the cross. Everything that is made possible, it's all done through the sacrifice and the love of who Jesus, our Lord and Savior is. In CC, the carbon copy of Christ, we learn that it is through Jesus's life, through his example, we're shown just how we're supposed to live. The Bible tells us to be holy because our Father is holy. Well, how do we be holy? We copy Jesus. Now, of course, we are told throughout life to, you know, not be a follower, but to be a leader. But in this case, it is perfectly fine to be a follower because we're following the one who didn't mess up. We're following the one who walked it all out in our shoes, who was tempted the same way that we are each and every day, but did not sin. And so today, for tonight's lesson, we're talking about our sacred identity And this comes especially not just from those different lessons that I was studying, that I was studying, that were interconnected through who Christ is, but also something that my brother Broderick shared with me. He was reading in the book of Proverbs chapter two, and in verse 16 and 17, there was a breakdown in his study Bible that really tied this whole lesson together for me as God confirmed it three times while we were talking, especially, and I thank God for the tools that he has laid before us. My, my brother has a, had an issue that a lot of us have had in our lives and that many people face today. They read the Bible. It tells us not to do something, but because we may not be, you know, a Bible scholar or very well knowledgeable in the word, well, we don't know what to do in terms of not doing it. Okay, I'm told not to do this, but how do I stop myself from doing it? And in this study Bible that he has, it broke it down for him. Now, of course, if you're a Bible scholar or or studier of the word, you know that when the, the Bible tells us not to do something, we can typically think of a relevant scripture on the, you know, the replacement. If we're to focus on not being lustful, then we should run from sexual immorality. How do we do that? By focusing on who God is, by renouncing those feelings, those thoughts, pleading the blood of Jesus and keep pushing forward. But let me share this with you all and then we'll hop into the word because it's a lot to unpack here tonight. So if you look in this breakdown for verse 16 and 17, The Bible says, and not actually me quoting the Bible, but this breakdown says, an immoral or promiscuous woman is seductive or a prostitute. Two of the most difficult sins to resist are pride and sexual immorality. Both are seductive. 
Pride says I deserve it. Sexual desire says I need it. In combination, their pill is deadly. In fact, says Solomon, only by relying on God's strength can we overcome them. Pride appeals to the empty head, sexual enticement to the empty heart. By looking to God, we can fill our heads with his wisdom and our hearts with his love. Don't be fooled. Remember what God says about who you are and what you are meant to be. Ask him for strength to resist these temptations. Now, when my brother Broderick shared this with me, it really resonated with every fiber of my being because I completely agree with that. Pride and sexual desire are probably two of the biggest things we as human beings are faced with. We may not all share the same sin, but those two I'm pretty sure we all deal with in one shape, form, or fashion. And it's that breakdown that really got me. Pride says that we deserve it. And sexual desire or immorality says that we need it. And then it goes down to say that pride attracts to an empty head and that sexual immorality attracts to an empty heart. I love that because when I look back at my life before I really got right with God, I was very arrogant and prideful about nothing, but I was empty headed. As my elders would always say, and I would hear it a lot and I still hear it to this day. And my grandmother was a firm proponent in telling me this. She would always say, boo, you don't want to be pretty and be dumb. It's great to look good. I, that, that's fine. But what do you know? What's, what's up here? And more so when we get to the cusp of our issues that we deal with in life. That's trying to fulfill the emptiness in our hearts. Sex doesn't do it. It does not do it. Things don't do it. People don't do it. A job, money, success, fame, fortune, none of that does it. Nothing on this earth can fulfill the emptiness inside. That's God's job. Only God can fulfill the empty parts of our lives. Only he can make sure that the holes in our souls are, are actually fulfilled. So with all that being said, let's break it down. Let's get into the word. We will start off in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. So the Bible says, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this world, and your new or your real life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you, have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of the world, of this world. But now, rid yourselves completely of all these things. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and obscene or abusive, filthy, vulgar language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, for you have stripped off the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new spiritual self who is being continually renewed in true knowledge and the image of him who created the new self. I tell you right now. This is one of my favorite things about being a servant of our God. When he gives you something, even in a breakdown that someone else may have written, like in the, in the study Bible, but then he leads you to scripture that backs it all up because his truth will always support his truth. Why? Because he not only watches over his word, but he is a performer of it to make sure that it's kept. Here we go. Let's start breaking this down. Let's unpack it. We see 
that first and foremost, if you have professed your life to Christ Jesus, who is God, have admitted you're wrong, said you're sorry, and are now prepared to make the 180, which means you are ready to get your things in order and actually start living life. Yes, I said actually start living life because you weren't living before that you were dead and playing in poop. Let's just be honest with each other. But now that you're alive, what happens here? Well, you understand who you really are. You're not out here in your 80s having an identity crisis anymore. You're not out here in your, uh, say, 30s on your 50th job because you can't think of something to do. You're not in college changing your major 100 billion times because everything is appealing, but nothing makes sense. Now you understand who you really are. And who are you, you may ask? Well, the Bible clearly told us that our identity, our true life, who we really are, what we're all about is wrapped up inside of Christ Jesus. Why, you may ask, it is inside of God. Well, we were created in his image and in his likeness originally. And then sin crept into the garden. We sold ourselves out. There was a break in who we are. Now we're covered in dirt and dirty and the mirror is broken and we don't know what we see. Every time we look in the mirror, as the book of James says, we get a feeling for who we are, but then we walk away and we don't remember a single thing. But when we accept Christ Jesus as our Lord and Savior and we allow him to wash the dirt off, when we allow him to give us a bath, to sit us down, to feed us, to give us water, to teach us, to train us and to send us out, not alone, but with him and with all the power that he is giving to us, then we understand who we are and who are we. We are a royal priesthood. We are a peculiar people. We are the remnant. We are earthen treasures that are for, that are filled and fulfilled with and for Christ Jesus. Everything that makes you who you are once you accept Jesus is Jesus. It's because of Jesus and it will always be Jesus. It's the Lord. It has everything to do with him. Now, what does this have to do with your sacred identity? Well, I'm glad you asked. The whole purpose of the lesson being called sacred identity is because the holiness of the Lord is sacred. Once you get saved for real, you're not playing church. You don't go to a building, but you become the church, a.k.a. a follower of Christ meaning that you have set down whatever this hunk of junk wants and you have accepted everything that God desires. When you do that, welcome to the club. Welcome to the family. And I do mean family, not biological, not people who can betray you, but a true family, one that is filled with love and comfort and peace and joy and resources and any and everything else that you could ever hope for, want or need. That's your identity. It is in Jesus. Now, yeah, once upon a time, we were messed up. We were dirty. Like I said, we were all sorts of disgusting. And that's why once you get saved, you should never get the big head. Or think that you're better than someone just because you're further along your path of sanctification. No, remember and be humbled that God brought you a mighty long way. And if not for him, you'd still be there wallowing in the dirt. But thanks to God, you're out the dirt. And if you really do have his love, like you may claim, then show it and let your faith bring in the works by spreading his love, by helping others get through their issues, by having them join the family, through the message of your testimony of how God got you over, how God got you through, and how he's still getting you out of things in two places. Share it. That's the whole point of testimony, to let people know how good God can be because you aren't perfect. None of us are, so don't act like it. Secondly, we see that because of sin, God's anger is coming, and it is showing up in a lot of ways both now, back then, and to come, because God doesn't play that. But what he wants is for everyone who can to be spared, because it's not his will that any should be perished. So we keep going, and we see that now, 
because we're out of the world, that just because we're out doesn't mean that this still has it. Though our spirits are saved, this body is still fighting. But thanks to the power of God who allows us to subjugate whatever the flesh wants because he has already overcome it all for you and for me, all we have to do is give it up to him. Now, I know it's easier said than done. I know a lot of times that we even find ourselves in the middle of sin, calling out to God while committing some atrocious deed. I get it. I've been there. It still happens. I'm not perfect. But what it does show you, as my grandmother lovingly grabbed my face today and let me know how good our God is and how none of us are perfect, it's that And as my brother said a few days ago when we were talking about all of this, it's that when we pray, when we live out this life, God understands the heart. Not what this says, but the heart, because God is a judger and a discerner of the heart. And we will move on. And in doing so, he knows what's up. Though, as my grandmother said, this body still may commit sin because our spirit is saved. This is a lie. And all Satan is trying to do is get you caught up in a lie. But because Jesus is truth and the truth has set you free and because you are free, you are free indeed. That lie cannot touch what God is doing and has done in your life. Remember who you are and more importantly, whose you are. We move on to John chapter 10, verses 7 through 11, and Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. And the Bible says, Then Jesus, yes, then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me were thieves and robbers, but... And notice how but is nice and bold. The true sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. Anyone who enters through me will be saved and will live forever and will go in and out freely and find pasture or spiritual security. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come and I chose I am for a reason. Jesus says I am come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. Romans 12 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world any longer with its superficial values and customs, but be transformed and progressively changed as you mature spiritually by the renewing of your mind, focusing on godly values and ethical attitudes, so that you may prove for yourselves what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect in his plan and purpose for you. So we see here, this wonderful thing that God himself is telling us, that he's the door. You want to go to heaven? You got to go it his way. And the thing about going to heaven God's way, because you're not getting there any other way, is that when you go through Jesus, he has already assured you that you will have security, spiritual security. You don't have to worry about your salvation being taken away because you messed up. That's not nowhere in the Bible does it say that. N- nowhere. I-, I promise you it doesn't. I've read through it. I've combed through it. I've talked it over with other people. Once you're saved, you're saved. That's it. If you don't want to get closer to God, that's on you. I wouldn't advise it. But your salvation doesn't get taken away. Jesus is saying that you're secure. I got you. And we know what that means when someone says, I got you. So he says, I got you. And he goes on to say that everyone who came before him was a thief or a robber. Now, when you hear that, he's not talking about the the prophets or the judges or the kings that he placed in line, that he himself personally put there 
to help guide the people. He's not saying that. What he's saying is, and I will refer you to Luke chapter 6, 39. Jesus says, can the blind lead the blind? Won't they just lead each other into a ditch? What he's saying is, is that these people who want to try to teach you false doctrine, who want to tell you that there is another God who goes by another name that isn't Jesus, who wants to sell you on some practice like Scientology or some crap about the cosmos and the stars aligning. They're thieves and robbers. They want nothing more but to help lead you to the same inevitable destruction that they themselves will soon face unless they give their lives to Jesus. What he's also telling you here, and this is why I love the Lord so much, is that he's letting you know straight up your enemy, the thief, the robbers, all those that work for the chief of the thieves themselves, Satan. They want nothing but to steal, to kill and destroy. But Jesus's sole purpose from stepping down from his throne, coming in a body like yours and mine, is to come and give us life. And so that the life he gives will be in abundance. The cup running over, the heaps in the storehouse being so much that we can't contain it all. The favor on our lives being so miraculous and abundant that things happen that shouldn't be possible. But we know that all things are possible with God because it's not according to our mere human standards where impossibilities are certain. But with God, there is no such thing as an impossibility. He rose the dead. He turned water to wine. He walked on water. He cured incurable diseases. He gave limbs and appendages back to people who did not have them. Medicine and science, as much as it would like to, can't do that. And yes, I know that there are prosthetics and all these other wonderful improvements that are great, but they cannot do what God did. Because they try to give you a substitute. But what God does in your life is he gives you the real deal holy field. Yes, I said it. He does not give you some cheap knockoff or some expensive but knockoff. He gives you the actual thing. Not something you want, but something that you desperately need. And how do we get this? How do we achieve all these wonderful things? Well, as we saw. Jesus said that I am come. I know in the other translations it says I have come, but I put I am come for the particular purpose of showing you that he says God has come. I have come. God is here to give you life and to give it more abundantly. Not just Jesus the man, but God himself has come to make sure that your life is fulfilling and fulfilled. I, that's the best way I can tell it to you. God is here with you. He wants to be with you if you don't have him already in the form of relationship so that your life can be embedded in every single way possible and even in ways that you couldn't think of. And we go now and we see that Jesus is professing his love for us once more, saying that the good shepherd sacrifices his life for us. We know that according to the Bible, love suffers a long time, meaning it sacrifices for those whom it professes said love for. And we know that God is love. That's why he said, I am come, because God is here to give you life through love. And that love is shown, as Jesus said in John three sixteen. That God so loved this world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but would have eternal life. And we see it again in John chapter one, that in the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God. And further down in that same chapter, we see where it says that the light came into the world to save it. But the world did not receive it because it was not looking for him. But God is so good that even though this world that's dying and is already dead isn't looking for him, he still made a way so that those who just had the inkling to want better, who had their measure of faith that God has implanted inside of each and every one of us, 
that if it would get activated, that it would have the opportunity to sprout, to grow its roots down deep inside of the revelation of who God is in the form of Jesus, that they would be saved and prosperous forevermore. I'm excited, y'all. John chapter 4, verses 21 through 24, and 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 6. The Bible says that Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him. For salvation comes through the Jews, but the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now when true worshipers, let me say that one more time, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must also worship in spirit and in truth. Second Corinthians 10 says that for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not physical or they are not carnal, meaning that the weapons of flesh and blood. Our weapons are divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses or strongholds. We are destroying sophisticated arguments and every exalted and proud thing that sets itself up against the true knowledge of God. Yes, I said true because we know what that word means. And we are taking every thought and purpose captive to the obedience of Christ, being ready to punish every act of disobedience when your own obedience as a church is complete. So again, another wonderful breakdown here. Jesus is letting us know in the conversation to the woman here that look whether you go to a church house whether you go to a religious monument go up on a hill in a cave none of that matters what God is looking for is that he wants you to worship him in spirit and in truth well, what do you mean in spirit and in truth well as we've been talking about because this is about our sacred identity one does not actually know God unless they have a relationship with God. A conversation, again, that I had with my brother Broderick pertaining to this whole topic while we were playing the game. He said that he had watched a video or heard someone say it, I don't really recall, about someone of another religion talking to a Christian about how, you know, our faith is weird when it comes to forgiveness and when we talked about that in depth Broderick said something so profound and it just made my soul happy because as we know whenever you ask God for forgiveness it's done and the man of the other religion said when I ask my God for forgiveness it's just done but when you ask something else i'm i'm paraphrasing very heavily because i don't remember all the nitty-gritty but the point that broderick made was and that we came to an astounding agreement is that no matter what religion you want to follow or even in just the law it's that when a crime is done there is a requirement to be paid for said crime and in all the religions and in this world that we live in when you do wrong you are required to pay for the crime, meaning that you are required to make provision. But with God, and I ain't talking about Buddha, I'm talking about Jesus, the one true wise God. With Jesus, not these false gods that we try to get sold on, but with Jesus, when we mess up, the sacrifice or the payment or the atonement for our wrong has already been provided because my God showed me how much he loved me, not by making me jump through hoops, not by making me pay a fee, not by making me make a provision, even though I don't have nothing to give him. He provided the sacrifice. Y'all ain't catch that one. He provided the sacrifice. Just like Abraham told Isaac, God will provide 
the sacrifice. So God provided it in the form of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. And in doing so, when I ask him for forgiveness, he looks out in the middle of the throne room to the altar with the lamb slain eternally. And Jesus reminds him of the sacrifice that he made specifically for you. And when God looks at that, he looks back at you and said, baby, it's already taken care of. And that's in the sea of forgetfulness. So unlike when we have to make provision for our wrong and then we're reminded of the wrong, Jesus has made the provision, has forgiven you, and then has taken it away from your consciousness because you're not reminded of it. God doesn't bring up the past to throw it in your face like a provision would require, but no, because he has provided, he's reminding you of who you are and you are his child. And by being his child, he has already provided everything like a good parent does. If you don't want to catch it, don't catch it. But I'm telling you, God is good because in this, we see that when we have the relationship with Christ, then we can worship in truth because guess what? Truth himself has set us free. He has made us aware that we are in a dying world, but that there is hope for all who would have an ear to hear and actually listen. And that's simple. God loves you. He doesn't want you to pay for your sins. Instead, he wants you to accept his payment, the money that he's going to put on your books. And that no matter what mistake you make, it's all good because God has you. Doesn't mean go out there and do wrong, but it means that when your humanity shows, because it will. And like me and my brother Broderick say, we are just stupid as a species it's it's our fault but it's okay god loves us anyway even though we're a tad bit slow me especially it's all good god got you don't worry about it stop sweating the details his blood has covered you from then to now to way over there it's covered you from beginning to end because he's the author and the finisher of your faith meaning he's the champion guarding you, protecting you, paving the way forward, watching your back on both sides. And that even when you get a little wobbly, he still got you. Don't worry about it because he loves you. And then we go to Matthew 28 verses 18 through 20 and 2 Timothy 2, 2 through 7. And before we really dig into that, let me just remind you that especially toward the end of 2 Corinthians 10, it's told that because our weapons of warfare are not corner, but they are spiritual, as I've come to say that we have spiritual nukes, that they are designed to cast down every vile imagination and every just nonsense stronghold generational curse that try to keep us trapped because God loves us and because his truth has set your spirit free now it's time to take the same truth and to set your soul free your mind because that's where the battle is now to set this thing free because even though it's going to keep doing wrong until the day you get out of here you have the power through Jesus to put it in its place and to stop messing up as much and mess up a lot less. I'd rather mess up this much and have been saved two years than mess up this much and have been saved 20 because that shows that I've, I haven't really been getting to know God the way I should, but because he's good, no matter how much time you have with him, he's going to make it count. So like I said, Matthew 28 verses 8, 3, 18 through 20 and 2 Timothy 2, 2 through 7. The Bible says, and Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name. It is, is it's bigger than any word on this page in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age or into the end of the world. Amen. 
Second Timothy says, you have heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. Endure suffering along with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Soldiers don't get tied up in the affairs of civilian life, for then they cannot please the officer who enlisted them. And athletes cannot win the prize unless they follow the rules. And hardworking farmers should be the first to enjoy the fruit of their labor. Think about what I am saying. The Lord will help you understand all these things. So let's break down one of the biggest misconceptions I've probably heard in regards to our faith of who God is. This will also help you further understand who you are and why God is so amazing. We and the Christian family and our faith, notice I didn't say religion because at the end of the day, we are a family and true religion, as God said, is to show love. But aside from that, in our faith, we are taught about the, the doctrine of the Trinity, i.e. God, the Father, Jesus, the Son and the Holy Spirit. And there's a lot of misconceptions about this because there are some who say, oh, well, are they three separate equal beings? So does that mean that Christianity isn't monotheism, but it's polytheism? They worship multiple gods. No. Is it that God made Jesus to be an instrument as a tool and same thing with the Holy Spirit? No. Is it that God had made them in order to help keep himself grounded so he wouldn't be alone? No. Let me explain it to you very simply. I, Jr., the person you see, I am my mother's son. That's one role. I am my grandmother's grandson. That's another role. I am my brother's brother. It's another role. I'm a mentor. I am a student. I am a follower of the Lord Most High. I am a lot of things, but as you see, even though I'm all these things, I'm just me. Let's not make this complicated. As Jesus clearly said, go and baptize the nations in the name, not names, but in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He isn't saying that they're separate He's saying that these are my biggest three positions, okay? Just like how I'm a son, a grandson, a brother, uh, a student. I'm all these things, but those are his big three. You, you get what I'm saying? Stay with me here. Because Jesus is telling you his big three and that there is one name that unites him. Let's not get confused and say that, oh, well, he's this and that. No, 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 no. Let me explain, as I talked about this with my grandmother. Jesus, a.k.a. God, God the Father, because as you see in, I believe it's in the book of Isaiah, it says that his name will be Wonderful Counselor, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, all these different things, but they still describe one person. Jesus came down so that the infinite God and all his amazingness would be made relatable because we can't process that much. We're slow, y'all. And because we're slow, it, it takes a lot to help us understand profound things. And because God himself is the most profound one, he made it relatable. And showing us, as the Bible has said in many different occasions, how to be a good Christian, a.k.a. a good child of God, a follower of who God is, and doing so. Jesus, God, in the form of the Son, the man that has been talked about who is 100% man and 100% God, it is given to us in that regard to show us how we, as people, can be used mightily of God. Because every single time Jesus reverenced God the Father, he would always say, but it's not me, 
But it is my father who showed me these things. But it is my father who speaks through me. Not because Jesus is some separate entity, but because he was showing you, us, the human race, how God wants to use us and operate through us. That once we get saved and our spirits are now consubstantial with his being of one essence of the same entity with who God is. Now that we're here, when we're used like God is using me right now, it ain't me, it's him just with my voice so that you're not afraid if he were to start speaking in his actual tone, the thundering boom. It's so that the coolness of the whisper of the wind that he can talk to when he talks to his baby so that we're not terrified. It's to help you understand how he wants to roll with you. That as he said in the book of Revelation, I'm at the door standing and knocking. And anyone who would open the door for me, I would come in and I would sit with them and share a meal with them as a friend. So God wants to not only be your savior, your father, your all in all, but he wants to be your friend. And in order to do that, he had to show us how it was possible. And that's why our Lord and Savior came down in a body like yours and mine to show us how it was supposed to be done. Now, if that ain't clear, I can't help you. But God is good in that way to help you understand it on any level. And so aside from that, now that we understand who God is and that just like how the people of old would describe him as Elohim or they would call him Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah Jireh, or Jehovah Rapha, El Shaddai, all these different things were by his characteristics, by his attributes. And that's great. But God gave himself a name above every other name to unite and just obliterate all those characteristics so that you wouldn't have to focus on a billion different names, but that we could all call him under one name. And as the Bible says, there is one God, one faith and one salvation, one baptism. There we go. Thank you. I heard my granny God through my grandmother's voice, one God, one faith, one baptism, and it's all through who Jesus is. Again, if that isn't clear, I cannot help you, but I pray that God will illuminate it in your heart if it's not. I said all that to say to help you understand that because we saw in Colossians chapter 3, 1 through 10, that our true life, that our actual identity is wrapped up in who Jesus is, then you understand once you get saved that no, you are not a fragmented person. You are not your sins. You are not your mistakes. You are not your errors, but you are everything that God has called you and purposed you to be. You are his child. You are a royal priest in his priesthood. You are a peculiar person. You are an earthen treasure holding on to the most precious thing in existence. And that is God's essence itself, i.e. his love because he is love. And when you understand that, the problems of life, though they may be many, though they may hurt at times, they don't mean jack squat. Because as the Bible has taught us, though the things we suffer for a little while may seem like a lot to us, they are nothing compared to the glory that Jesus is going to bring you in the time coming soon. So let's wrap this up, y'all. Colossians 2, verses 6 through 14. And boy, I'm, I'm still excited. The Bible says, and now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue following him. Don't get saved and stop, but keep chasing after him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. Because as the Lord just had me explain, for in Christ lives all the fullness of God and a human body. Let me stop real quick. Because of the explanation, you now understand that Jesus's life was an example to show you how we as humans can live holy, acceptable, and righteous unto God. That's it. 
And that's the purpose, to show you that it's possible to actually live properly, not by us, but by him working through us, in us, and for us at all times. Let's get back to the word. So continuing, so you are also complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. Ain't God good? For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized. And with him, you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. The Bible just told you how God put the money on the books and threw you out the courthouse because you had no business being there in the first place. Let's wrap this up. In Colossians 3, we see how Christ is our identity, how it is revealed to us. And like I said earlier, and I am because he is, we talk about how our existence itself is a blessing because of the love that got up on Calvary and made love apparent. And then in CC, carbon copy of Christ, we then saw how Jesus's life was the example to show us how to live this holy life. Not because we're holy, but because God inside of us can make us to be so. He's already forgiven every single sin and made it right. So then we go further down and Jesus says, I am come to give them life and to give it more abundantly. Meaning God is right there with you every single step of the way. Stop worrying. I get it. Life is tough, even with God. But what did he say? That I would be with you even until the end of the age or until the end of the world, world without end, forever, period. Amen. In this life and the life to come, God has you. Chill out. We keep going. We're supposed to worship in spirit and truth, meaning have a relationship with God. Get to know your father. Just like how you have parents or friends or loved ones or whoever, you spend time with them to learn about them. So spend time with the Lord. He's already given you everything and then some. Just give him your time. He doesn't even want that much from you. Keep going. We see that Jesus has now made it very apparent of how the Godhead works. No, they are not separate people. God is one singular person like how we are. He just works most prominently in his biggest three aspects as God, the father, as Jesus, the son and risen king slash savior and the Holy Spirit who resides inside of all of us. But he is still God wrapped up in the name of Jesus. One singular person like how you and me are one person with different roles and different aspects of who we are. But one person, not separate. OK, love you. We finish it off with understanding that everything we need to know, it's not wrapped up in a self-help book. It's not wrapped up on the Internet. It's not wrapped up in philosophies and these false religions claiming Satan under a different name. But it is all wrapped up in the revelation of who God is and can be in, through and for you in the form of Jesus the Christ, our Lord and Savior. Heavenly Father, we come before you in prayer saying thank you. Thank you so very much that we are not having identity crises anymore, but that we understand fully and are well aware of who we are and more importantly, whose we are. Though once we wallowed and wellowed in darkness and we were just like our father, Satan, you snatched us right out of our hands, gave us a re-DNA sequence, a new heart and a new mind. If we would be brave enough to take it from you by continually focusing on you every day and we became a part of the family. Yes, by grafting, because you took us out and you signed those adoption papers, but then you put us 
in the pod, so to say. And you made us brand new from scratch, thanks to that new DNA that you placed inside of us. So now we are born into the family and that we are joint heirs, not just because of the grafting, but because of birthright. And we thank you for being our beginning and our end, the first and the last, the Alpha and the Omega, the one who was dead but who is alive forevermore, the yes and the amen. We thank you for all that you do, have done, and will continue to do in our lives because, Lord, we know that without you, we don't stand a chance. And not only don't we stand a chance, but we just continue to to wellow in darkness and in fear and in anger and in hate and in lust and in pride and in everything else that isn't worthy of even coming near you. But God, we thank you so much for the sacrifice of yourself in the form of our darling Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ, who showed us how it's totally possible to live a life, actually live a life that's meaningful and worth something. And we thank you that everything that we accomplish in your name, Lord, it actually matters because though we came in this world with nothing, we sure won't take nothing with us. But I thank you that the relationship that we build with you here will not only leave with us, but will cause heaps of treasure to be piled up in our name. Not because we did anything crazy, but because we were brave enough to just trust you and to be made available to you. So Heavenly Father, I ask now, that you would bless all those who have heard this message or who will hear it, that they have a clear understanding of not only who you are, but of who they are, of what they can be and of what you can accomplish in them and through them. Because as a pastor said today on as the Pastor, everything that you assign to us to do when we push our individual plow will leave us fully fulfilled and satisfied. So we thank you for the fulfillment for completing us, for filling those holes in our souls, and for continually sanctifying us in this process, getting us closer and closest to that perfect thing that you designed us to be. It's these things we thank you for and rejoice. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Hey family, I pray the lesson has blessed you in some way, shape, form, or fashion today. Each week, We hold Bible study on Zoom, and it would be wonderful to share this experience with you. If something was said that resonated with you and you aren't a part of the family, I would like to open the invitation to join. I pray that the Lord blesses you in all of your endeavors and that you chase after the prize, which is Jesus. See you next week, God willing, and be blessed.